You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Hey, good mid-morning, Sun Grove. I'm going to call you guys Sun Grove. That was some good worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're like, wait a minute. Didn't Pastor Dave say that uh, he, Byron, swam at UCLA, NC2A champion, um, but, but he's black. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Black people, we do swim. We do swim. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. No, but guys, I, I'm really excited to be here uh, this morning uh, because, uh, first of all, let me just say that uh, I, I love your pastor. I love the Flag family. They've been a, an inspiration and an encouragement and blessing to my family, the Davis family. And um, let me just throw the picture up. I would be remiss to not mention my wife. A few, again, a few years back, we were here and we gave our testimony. Um, yes, I married up. You know, she doesn't have good eyesight, so I'm happy about that. But uh, my wife and kids couldn't be here today. The next photo is of me and my kids and my wife. Uh, this was taken on Father's Day of this year, uh, right on the hilltop of a uh, canyon, Towsley Canyon, back where I live in Valencia. And these are the mountains that I like to jog. There's like a five-mile, eight-mile loop. Uh, I decided to, well, because it was Father's Day, I used the Father's Day card, and I convinced my family to go with me on that morning hike. But that's my son, Maya. He's 17 years old. I can't believe I have a senior in high school. It is crazy, and it is scary at the same time. And my daughter, Victoria, she's 12 going on 24. How many know what I'm talking about? And, uh, but beautiful, beautiful family. God has blessed me so much. With, uh, with my family. So I wanted to share that. But again, the flags and then this community, I'm really excited about what God is doing, not only in the kingdom of, of God in our time right now, but what he's doing here with, with you guys. And, and Pastor Dave and I uh, talked a little bit, and uh, he just shared with me the, the series that you guys are going through, Inked. And I think it's awesome because we know that um, you and I have already been uh, inked by God on the inside of us. You know, we, we already, I mean, just think of this. Um, God has handcrafted a heartfelt letter to the world through our story, through us. And what this means is, this means that our purpose, our identity, and our, our, our passion has already been validated and already been secured by God. Let me repeat that. Our identity and our purpose and our impact has already been established, validated, and approved by God. Repeat after me. God does not call the qualified. Okay, guys, I understood the 9 o'clock service a little early. All right, let's try that again. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the ones he calls. I want you to put a bookmark in that because we'll be coming back to it over and over again. You see, God doesn't call the qualified. He, he qualifies the ones that he calls. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your relentless pursuit of us. And just like in worship today, Father, we know that you would, would climb mountains and that you would go to the ends of the earth, that you would travel down into the depths of the ocean to find us and to draw us unto you. And we thank you for that relentless pursuit of our heart. And as a result, Father God, we pray that you would use us, that you would move in us and that you would move through us. 
Father. May we not stand in the way of all the good that you want to accomplish through us to reach this world. We thank you for this time. I thank you for this community. And I pray, Lord, that your word lands on fertile soil and that it takes root and that it brings forth fruit, Father, for the world to enjoy. All those who are in agreement, say amen. 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 Guys, I want to just share with you right out of the gate, I'm going to give you a question that God has challenged me with. And I want to challenge you with this question. And the question is this, what would you do? What would you venture to do if you truly believed that God was with you? What would you truly venture to do if you were absolutely convinced that God was with you? I've come to love this question. First, I hated this question, but I've come to love this question because it cuts right to the chase and it challenges us right at the core of who we actually believe God to be and who we are actually being in this present moment. You see, there are two kinds of beliefs. There's there's ideal beliefs and then there's functional beliefs. There's ideal beliefs that are kind of when life and the circumstances that we're facing are ideal and they're nice and they're comfortable, we can tell you what we believe. But then there's, a, there's another kind of belief. When life isn't always that smooth, when we're coming up against setbacks and challenges, those are where our functional beliefs are. The beliefs that we entertain when we sit at the crossroads of a hard choice that we have to make, those are the beliefs that I'm talking about. What would you truly venture to do if you, at the functional ground, grassroots level of your life, believed that God was with you? Look, I love the outdoors, evidenced by the picture I just shared with you. I love hiking. I love Uh, running, I love trail running, I love biking, I love the ocean, kiteboarding, all that kind of stuff. Um, In fact, my wife and I, uh, we we do Spartan challenges together. We signed up for one in December if you'd like to be a part of it. It's it's great. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, But I remember when uh, I took scuba diving lessons some years back, and and on one of our dives, we were, being, we were diving off the coast of uh, the Cayman, uh, not Cayman Islands, but um, the Channel Islands down south in Southern California. And we were on the, the far side of it. And on our second dive, we dove down about two atmospheres. And by that time, clouds were kind of rolling in and the water was getting pretty choppy, but it was still kind of safe enough for us to do our second dive. So we dived down deep and we're down underwater for about 45, 50 minutes. And we're just looking at things, exploring, and seals coming up to you. No, that was kind of cool. How many of you guys know when, when you see seals in like, like SeaWorld, that's cool. But when you see them in real life, that's scary. It was scary. But we're playing around and we're, we're swimming around. And then about 45, 50 minutes into the dive, our, our guide told us to, to go up. And so we start venturing. We go back up to the surface. And by that time, water gotten really, really, really choppy. And we were looking around, and there was no land in sight, and the boat was gone. And so for about a minute or two, we're looking around, and we're looking at each other, and we clear our masks, and and we're trying to get our bearings. And finally, way off in the distance, we see this little matchbox. It was the boat. 
And you see, what happened was, while we were underwater, the currents and the waves of the sea drifted us far off course, farther than we had realized. And so when we came up, we were about 200 yards away from the boat. So why am I sharing that story with you? Well, let's fast forward to about a year and a half ago. About almost two years, about a year and a half, two years ago. I was going through a time in my life where I was wrestling with God. I was upset and discouraged with myself. And I was frustrated with God because I, I didn't feel like I was far enough along in my life. I didn't feel like, like hey, God, the, the talent, the ability that you've given on the inside of me, it's not being reflected on the, the results that I'm experiencing on the outside. It seems like I'm doing a lot of work, God, but, but nothing is showing. There's no fruit. Yet I get struggle and obstacle and pain and disappointment after disappointment. God, what's going on? And I remember I'm just struggling with him. And so like I often do when I'm, I'm kind of struggling or I'm wrestling with a decision, I go jogging in Towsley Canyon. And this time I took about the eight mile, the long route. And so I'll, I'm, I'm running, and I have my earphones on, and I'm praying, and um, I'm, I'm meditating on Psalms 139 that says, Search me, O Lord, search my heart. You know, let me know if there's any unclean thing in me, if there are any grievances in me. Lord, lead me to the path of everlasting. I just kept saying this over and over again. Lord, search my heart. Search my thoughts. What's going on? What's, what's, what, am I doing something wrong? What's going wrong? And in the quiet hills of Towsley Canyon, I, I started to, to sense God's presence and, and pressed on my heart. And I remember him saying and feeling, he brought my attention back to the time I went scuba diving. And he said, remember that time you went scuba diving and, and you allowed the, the waves and the currents of the sea to, to get you off, to, the, to drift you in a direction that you didn't intend to go? Likewise, you've let life's challenges and obstacles and the everyday mundane drift you in a direction that you never intended, that I never intended for you to go. And as a result, you're coming up into situations that you know you're out of place. You see, I'd fallen into the common trap that so many of us fall in into, and I allowed the everyday circumstances of life and the demands of reality to start to dictate to me how my life was going to turn out. I start letting, you know, just the regular demands and the challenges of reality, having a, a, a full-time job, a full-time wife with full-time kids, with full-time bills. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> letting all those things really start to dominate my life. And as a result, before I knew it, here I was at that time, 46 and 48 now, at that time, I had drifted so far off course that I started to even doubt maybe my best years had passed. Maybe, maybe I missed my calling. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was just too late for me because I have responsibilities now. I've got all these things that I have to do. Maybe, maybe my time is up. But at the same time, God pointed out that I had allowed my life to drift. And don't get me wrong, I mean, God has been faithful and blessed, and, and again, I have a beautiful family, and, and, uh, and, and life situations could have been worse. But I had to be honest with myself and realize, wow, am I truly living 
out the life and the call that God had placed on my life. And I had to be honest with myself and I had to be honest with God because, of course, he knew already. The answer was no. And so here I was struggling and wrestling and asking God what to do. And the funny thing was, was uh, God the way that he often does, and you know what I'm talking about, he answers our question with a question. <laughs> the Socratic method of teaching. And, and, and God points out to me, he says, Byron, well, what actually would you do right now if you were completely convinced that I was with you? I was challenged with that question head on. He says, what would you, look, 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 I know you know me. I know you believe in me and you've, you've accepted me as your savior. And ideally, you, you, you're, you're a good Christian guy. But, but, but let's be real. What would you honestly do if you were absolutely convinced that I was with you? Start doing that. I was asking God, what should I do? What should I do? What's my next decision? What's my next move? He said, start doing that. You see, guys, many times in our prayer life, we tend to ask God to do what he's already made us responsible for. I'll repeat that. God, many times in our prayer life, we will pray over and over and over again, and ask God to do what he's already made us responsible for. God has called us to trust him and obey him in the stewardship of the life that he's blessed us with. Remember, he's already inked himself on the inside of us. He's already validated and he's already accepted and he's already approved our purpose, our passion, our identity. That's already taken care of. And what he's asking me, or what he was asking me at that time, and what I want to challenge you with today, the question is, when you look at your life, and you look at the circumstances that you're in, if you could be completely honest with yourself, knowing yourself, what would you do if you were absolutely convinced that God was with you? What ambitions would you pursue? Would you finally write and complete that book you've been mulling over in your mind? Would you go back to school? Would you launch that, 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 that ministry or that nonprofit or that business that you know has been pressed on your heart? Would you decide once and for all to actually share the gospel with the same person that you keep coming across every day and you feel that God is calling you to love on them, but yet you're finding an excuse not to? What would you do if you were absolutely convinced that God was with you? It reminds me of the time God called Moses to set the children of Israel free from captivity. Remember that? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Um, I'm going to be bouncing around the verses in chapter 3 and 4. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro and his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, um, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to far, the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2. There the angel of God appeared to him in flames of the fire, from within a bush, Moses saw that 
Though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the, the strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Let's jump to verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them cry out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. All right, put a pin in that. Let me ask you a question. Who did God say in that verse, the last verse, was going to take and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who? God, right? God says, I'm going to do this. Watch this. Jump to verse 10. God tells Moses, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. Hmm. Did you see the, the spiritual bait and switch God did right there? <laughs> Who did God initially say was going to bring the children out of Israel? He was. But who did he invite and decide that he wanted to bring the children of Israel out through? Moses. You see, many times we get confused when we know what has to happen is God's size, and yet God calls us to take part and do it. All of a sudden, we second-guess ourselves, and we, and we sell ourselves short, or we, even worse, start making up excuses. Excuses. From verse uh, chapter 3, verses 10, all the way through chapter 4, all the way to verse 10, there, and I invite you, we're not going to go through all of it verse by verse, but I invite you to read it in your quiet time. This is just a back and forth exchange. God and Moses wrestling and, and talking back and forth. And Moses is giving him one excuse after another, one excuse after another. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. Again, Moses, verse after verse after verse, Moses is giving an excuse. He's saying, well, what about this, God? And God's like, I got you. Well, God, what about this? What if, what if this happens? Don't worry, I got you. Over and over and over again, and we find ourselves, or, or uh, Moses finds himself in verse, chapter 4, verses 10, Moses said to the Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to me, I am slow of speech and tongue. So now Moses is like, look, I can't go and be your voice, be your advocate. I stutter. I've never been good at speaking in front of people, let alone speaking in front of the most powerful man in the world. And God says, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. 
I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Many times, we will get so caught up in all the reasons why we can't do certain things, all of our inadequacies, all of our insecurities. And guess what? We will be spot on. Moses didn't lie. He had a speech impediment. Every excuse that Moses brought up, every concern that Moses brought up, everything that Moses feared was factually correct. But in spite of that, God already had invested and written and inked on him exactly what he wanted to do through him. Is this making sense? Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Okay, let's try it again. Try it again. This is interactive, guys. This is interactive. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Drift happens. You see, what happened with Moses all the way through, when God decided to call on him, Moses was pretty, pretty, you know, he was late in life. You know, he had drifted totally, his life had, if you remember and recall in Scripture, his life had drifted totally off course than what it was originally intended. Right? He was born, or he was born in, um, in captivity, some stuff and drama happens, you know, he gets blessed and lands as a child in now the Pharaoh's palace, and he grows up and, and in a privileged life, and he was on track to, to be this, this awesome and cool and outstanding guy and leader of this nation, but um, he got into a fight, and he killed a man, and then he fled, and he left, and that big thing pivoted his life, and he runs off, and he starts a completely new life. His life completely drifted in an entirely different direction. He had a new life. By this time, he had a wife. He had established himself in the community. He had never really had the level of leadership that God was calling him to. He had never experienced that. He had no experience in high-stakes negotiation. He had a severe speech impediment. He felt totally ill-equipped and inadequate for the task that God was calling him to do at that time. But repeat after me, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the one he calls. What is God calling you to do that you may not have at, at, up to this point answered? What are you questioning? What are you second-guessing? What are you postponing? What are you mounding a very credible list of evidence as to why you can't do it, yet God is still saying, but I'm with you. I want to go with you. I want to accomplish this through you. What is God calling you to do that you've been putting off? telling yourself all the reasons why you won't, why it wouldn't work. Again, Moses had every excuse in the book, but don't get me wrong. Again, all these things are hard, and I'm not in any way trying to shrink or in any way minimize the challenges that you face and that you may be going through. I don't know. But here's something that I do know. You see, God was always with Moses. He just needed Moses to be with him. 
God had never left nor forsaken Moses. But in a time where he was now calling Moses to step out of his comfort zone, to step up to a new call, a new assignment on, this, on his life, he had to know, was Moses with him? Remember, God said he was the one that was actually going to make things happen. But he chose to do it through a flawed, ill-equipped, unqualified human named Moses. How many of us have a lot in common with Moses? I know I do. God is calling all of us to live the courageous life, to live life uncaged. See, what would you venture to do if you were completely convinced that God was with you? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, As a prisoner's for the Lord, I urge you to live your life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul is strongly encouraging us to walk in a manner of our calling. Guys, you and I, we've already been called to live life well. Remember, we are that, that handcrafted, heartfelt letter that God has written to the world. There is a message that God wants to communicate to the world through you. And the beautiful thing about it is that message, that story, that testimony, it is yours to tell. You know those problems, those challenges? There's an old Navy SEAL um, saying that says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. My old pastor growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, used to say that before you have a testimony, guess what? You got to go through a test. How many of us have been through tests? Yet you are still here, and those, that testimony that you have. In today's society, this is the truth. We live in a post-Christian world, and Nine times out of ten, the only Bible the world will ever, ever read will be you, will be your story. And when they see you not just go up and try to beat the Bible over their head, but yet actually see the, the loving God lived out and played out in how you handle difficulty and how you handle challenges and how you handle struggles, they will then start to understand who this God is. And as a result, God will start to use you to draw them unto him. But it only will happen if we answer the question for all of us in the trenches of our life, what would you be willing to do? What are you going to venture to do if you were convinced that God was with you. Imagine this, guys. Imagine a world today where followers of Jesus Christ on every level were not hindered by self-imposed limitations due to doubt and fear. Imagine the rapid progress that would be made by the dynamic collaboration of highly skilled believers absent of ego and pride, driven by the collective confidence that each individual could make significant things happen and get tough things done through the power of Christ. 
Think of the solutions that would be regularly generated because people will have embraced the simple truth that with God, there are truly no resources beyond our reach. And I'm not talking about this, this prosperity gospel. I'm talking about real pragmatic. You know what? If I decide to faithfully take action, I'm going to see manna. I'm going to see God move in spite of me. And it's going to be so awesome that I know for a fact that I can't take any credit for it and have to give all honor and glory to God. Imagine the excellence of not just showing up to make a difference, but actually being the difference. It is discovering and uncovering and rediscovering our talents, our ambitions, our dreams again and our skills to make lasting contributions to our families, our communities, our state, our nation, our world. Do you see it? Can you see it? This includes every single one of us in the room. And I don't, I don't care what stage of life you are in. At every stage, it's amazing. At every stage in our life, we all have our own excuses that we think no one else understands. We're in high school about to, to graduate and, and, and get out into the real world. Oh, but you don't understand. I don't have X. I don't have Y on a Z. I don't have a scholarship. I don't have financial aid. So I have to do da-da-da-da. The stage when you leave college and now you're a young adult and, 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 and your mom and dad says, uh, you're not coming back here. And God is prompting you and calling you to do something, but you're like, oh, no, I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. And then there are certain stories and narratives that we tell ourselves in our 30s. And then there are certain narratives that we tell in our 40s and 50s and 60s. And all the while, God is telling you, guess what? At any moment you choose, I can make the rest of your life the best of your life. If you decide to follow me, if you would only trust and truly believe and reflect that belief in your behavior... What would you do if you were absolutely convinced that God was with you? According to 1 Peter 4.10, we've all been given gifts by God to impact and to serve others. The very fact that you are sitting here today is evidence enough that you also possess skills, resources, experiences, talents that can serve the world in powerful and meaningful ways. But here's one of the things that plague us. Oftentimes, we take for granted the very talents and skills that we've been given. We think everybody has it. And as a result, we set it aside. We downplay it. We criticize it. We second-guess it. And we never, ever actually own it and begin to use it. And then present it to God and allow him to turn our little loaves and, and little pieces of fish into something that's going to be a miracle. But yet God says, I'm willing and I'm, I'm ready. Romans 12, 16, uh, 12, 6 says, reminds us that everyone has been given a different gift. In Galatians, I love this verse. In fact, I printed this out and I put it in, on a big poster on my wall so it reminds me and I meditate on it every day. Galatians 6, 4, and 5. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given to do. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Each of you must take responsibility. Say that with me. 
each one of us must take responsibility for doing our creative best with our life. You see, what I already know about you without even knowing you is those talents, those gifts, those dreams, those ambitions, those tests that you had to go through and now are part of your testimony. The experiences that, that, that you have, have all created, God gave all of them to you because he wants to accomplish them through you. Like Moses, could God do it himself? Yes. But does he desire to do it through us? Yes. Yes. And see, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, Byron, but you don't know my thoughts. You don't know my, my circumstances. You don't know the situation that I've been in. You don't know my bankruptcy. You don't know that I just lost my house. You don't know what's going on with my kids. You don't know the struggles and the challenges that I have in my relationship right now. You don't know the, 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 the secret substance abuse and the stronghold that I have. I'm not telling anybody. Byron, you don't know what's going on in my life. And you're right. But to be honest with you, that, that just sounds like you're having a Moses moment. Did you get that? We all have Moses moments where we're wrestling with God and he's calling us to live the courageous life and a life uncaged. And we're telling him all the reasons why it can't happen. And finally, many of us have already said, no, God, choose someone else. But I am so grateful. And aren't you grateful that God never gives up on us? That like a faithful shepherd, he will leave the 99 in order to come and get the one? God loves and God cares for you. But what he's challenging us to do is to walk, simply walk in the manner of our calling. What does God call us to do? Number one, rediscover the work that we've been given to do. Translation, he's inviting you and I to dream again. He's inviting you and I to, to, to take those visions and those passions and those ideas and those curiosities off the shelf. And even though life seems so inconvenient right now, he's saying, trust me with the little that you have and watch what I do with it. He's calling us to live life uncaged. Hebrews 12.1 tells us to lay aside every weight that holds its back and run the race before us with patience. This scripture is telling us to get out of the cage. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's time to get out of the cage. So you're probably thinking, Byron, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean this cage? What is this cage? In a nutshell, guys, the cage are, uh, represent, uh, it's a paradigm that represents the mental, emotional prisons of doubt and fear that we trap ourselves in every single day. That's what the cage is. It's the mental and emotional prison, the self-imposed limitations the self-sabotaging behaviors, the avoidance behaviors. 
that we allow ourselves to engage in every single day that undermine the very things that God wants to do in and through us. That's the cage. And, and many times we get tricked and then we get trapped. You see, no one wants to live in the cage. I'm, I'm sure you don't want to live in a cage, right? I don't want to live in a cage. But how do we get trapped in, into that cycle of insanity where we're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, yet we're hitting our head against the wall and it doesn't seem like we're advancing any further? We feel trapped. We feel stuck. How do we get there? Well, we get there because all of a sudden we found ourselves allowing the waves and the currents of life to drift us off course to the point where we, once we see how far we've gone off course, we think it's too late, that we're lost. Here's what I want you to know. While drift happens, the cage is a choice. Guys, if you're human and you go through life, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. It happens to me. It happens. It'll happen to you. There'll be, there'll be seasons in life where, where you will find yourself feeling stuck or feeling like maybe my best years have been, are now behind me or, or maybe you'll start to, to second question a pivot. It could come in the form of you being laid off. Or maybe, maybe the, the, the children have left the nest and now you're considering, what do I do now? My identity was so wrapped up in them, but they're gone now. What do I do in this season? Or it could be, I'm about to graduate college, but I don't even know what I want to do. Whatever the cage looks like for you, understand, drift happens. But the cage is a choice. And Jesus tells us in Scripture that he came to set us free. Jesus says, I came that you would have life and have life to the what? To the full. Scripture also tells us that it is for freedom. Freedom is so sweet. Freedom just for the sake of freedom. Scripture says that it is for freedom that you and I have been set free. We are not designed to be in a cage, to live in a cage. We're not designed to just go through life and survive. We are designed and we are fashioned to thrive in the name of Jesus. Amen? What would you do if you were absolutely convinced God was with you? Now, the problem, of course, is we allow distractions, setbacks, discouragements, momentary defeats, deceit, to move us away from the path and keep us boxed and frozen and frozen in fear. All the while allowing another day to come and go. And those days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, years turn into decades. And before we know it, we stop what we're doing, we get to the surface, and we look around and we realize just how far we've allowed ourselves to drift. As I was sharing with you earlier, running Towsley Canyon, I was deeply discouraged and frustrated with God and myself and felt like I should have been further along in my life and in my ministry. And I feared that the time was slipping away and that I was, in reality, was so far off course that maybe things were not going to happen. 
Can I be, can I, can I, can I ask a, a real question? How many of you guys have ever been there? Is it just me? This is real. But the good news, guys, is that God says, I have always been with you. I'm currently with you, and I'm ready and willing right now to, like I said before, make the rest of your life the best of your life. And this isn't some prosperity gospel, because what I want you to know and what you should clearly see evidenced through the text is there will be challenges, there will be setbacks, there will be roadblocks, there will be tension, and there will be constant inner doubt and struggle that you will wrestle through. But that's the very reason why God said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Don't you think God knows your faults, your fears, your inadequacies, your insecurities, your shortcomings? But yet he still loves us. And like he did with Moses, he still wants to use us. Somebody should say, that's good preaching, Byron. Good job. That's good preaching. No, no, I'm just joking. Let that sink in. I get excited about that because at the same time, I get scared because I know the new call that God has on my life and what he's venturing and asking me to do personally. And it scares, scares me a lot because I don't see the clear path. All I see are the obstacles. But I am faithful and I, I meditate on that question and I, and I challenge you to, what would you actually do if you were convinced that God was with you? That just doesn't mean the big things you would do. You can apply and extrapolate that question down to the small little choices you make every single day. When you know that, that God is calling you to, to, to now take back your own health. And the simple choices in the trenches, the functional belief in the moment of comfort, when you want to hit the clock at five or six o'clock and you've already made a decision to step out and go walk around the block. But in that moment, you don't want to do it because of the comfort that you're trapped in. The gravity of comfort is now keeping you from experiencing escape velocity to a new level of health that God wants you to. What about our finances? What about the job? What about the discomfort of now going to your spouse or going to your kids after years of being tunnel focused in your career, recognizing that in the wake of what you've been trying to do are broken relationships and resources, but yet God is calling you into a season to say it's time for you to take ownership of the relationship that you've allowed to break and weaken and say it and apologize and, and be willing and, and ready to pass up the promotion, pass up the advancement because you want to spend more time with your kids. What are you willing to do if you were honestly convinced that God was with you. Because here's the, real, here's the reality that we all face. What we choose to do and how we doubt says more about what we believe in God than anything else. But God is willing, ready, and able to do all things. Remember what Paul says, I am able 
uh, um, to do and go through all things through Christ who gives me strength? That's for real. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will then be able to test what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is. What I want to share with you right now as we kind of land the, the, the plane a little bit is this. God is calling all of us to live life well, to live the, the courageous life, to live life uncaged. Scripture tells us to lay aside every weight that so easily holds us back so that we can run the race that is set before us. And have you ever stopped to wonder why poetically that verse was kind of described that way? Well, think about it this way. Every four years, we watch a huge event called the Olympics, right? And, and we watch athletes who have toiled in, in, in obscurity for the most part, all of a sudden get thrusted onto the world stage, and they begin to, to, to run and to perform and to do their best at, with what they have. And in the process of doing that, we are amazed and, and we celebrate with them because we connect to their story and, and we, we want them to do their best and we celebrate when things happen. And, and, and it just, it reminds us when we look at them, although we're not Olympians, we can celebrate with them because we can appreciate the sacrifice that they went through in order to get there, right? Likewise, when God says, I want you to run your race, the world that doesn't even know that's farthest from Christ will be able to connect with you at the human level and they will resonate with how you handle the challenges and the obstacles and they, before they even realize it, will be celebrating the very God that you serve. And they'll come up to you and they'll ask you why, how. What would you do if you were completely convinced that God was with you? Well, here are four truths that I want you to write down and remember as you begin and as you continue to live life uncaged, to no longer allow your doubts and your fears and your insecurities to hold you back in the day-to-day -day, um, affairs of your life. Four truths you've got to understand and embrace. And before I, I, I give you these four, there are two things that I like about the truth. Number one, the truth is the truth whether you and I decide to believe it or not. And then number two, the truth always demands a choice. Once we understand the truth, that truth calls us to make a choice. Amen? The first truth, truth number one, our life drifts in the direction of our strongest, most frequent thoughts. Our truth drifts or moves in the direction of our strongest, most frequent thoughts. Where you direct your thoughts, you direct your life. Why? Because those thoughts turn into behaviors. Those thoughts turn into beliefs, and those beliefs turn into behaviors, and those behaviors turn into habits, and those habits turn into a way of life. And pretty soon, those habits become connected together and creates a paradigm or a box 
that either holds you back or propels you forward. The choice is yours. Because of those things, Philippians 4.8 tells us that whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, for us to do what? Think on these things. The truth is this. Our life drifts in the direction of our most strongest, most compelling thoughts. Here's the choice that we have to make. What is our responsibility? To take captive every thought under the obedience of Christ. So the truth is, our thoughts direct our life, our most dominant thoughts. But the choice is, for us, according to Scripture, is to take captive every thought and bring it under the submission of Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like in a practical way? Well, it looks like this. I want you to close your eyes really quickly, and I want you to think of one of those ambitions or dreams or, or curiosity, something that you want to accomplish, something that you want to do. It could be big or small. All right, open your eyes. You know those ancillary thoughts of, this is stupid. This isn't going to work. I don't know if this is going to be for me. All the small voices that come up in our heads, in our minds, in our hearts, right at the point of decision. Those are the thoughts that we are now called to take captive. And let me give you a practical idea, um, practical uh, practice of what that looks like. What I like to do is I, I, have a, I keep a journal. And every morning, part of our morning routine, um, in my journal, I always write three to five things that I'm grateful for. But then I also write out uh, the ambitions and, and the dreams and, and the call that God has placed in my life. And as soon as I do, many times what initially or what immediately comes in after that are all these negative beliefs that, that stirs up inside of me. You're not good enough. Oh, you're not qualified enough. Oh, don't you need a, a, a degree to do this? All these thoughts. Well, what I do is I capture those thoughts in my journal. I write those thoughts down. Yeah, the negative ones. Because here's the beautiful thing. Now I know what I can now cast on the altar of God. When God tells us in Scripture, cast all of your care upon me because I care for you. I literally begin to do that. And what's cool is after a year or two, I'll go back through my journals and I'll start to see how God allowed those things to just be erased. I can, I can literally over this past year go back and look at some thoughts and ideas and limiting beliefs that had me, that it was a stronghold, and now that's not even a part of my identity. And it's not because of me, it's because I'm learning to take captive every thought and I'm learning to, to bring it under the submission of Jesus Christ and give it over to him and allowing him to transform my life continuously. And I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. So number one, take captive every thought. Truth number two, there is never a right or perfect time to start. When you decide to embark on any type of ambition, recognize that, you know what, there is really no perfect time to start. 
You won't have all the resources you need. You won't have all the qualifications you need. You won't have all the support you need. You won't have all the money you need. <laughs> there is never a right time to start. But just look at God when God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And what I want you to remember in those moments is that God is with you. Here's your choice. Always start before you're ready. Always start before you're ready. Just go with what you know and decide to learn the rest along the way. What am I talking about? I'm talking about allow yourself to be led by faith and not by sight. Remember, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. Truth number three, doubt and disbelief will challenge you along the way. I know these are some hard truths, but I want to be real with you. The struggle will be real, but the struggle does not mean defeat. Amen? When living life uncaged, please know that doubt and disbelief are natural and they're normal. That's why God gave us faith. And remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. And here's what I want you to remember, guys. Write this down. Where your belief ends, faith begins. God is not requiring you to believe every single thing, but what he does require you is to have just the faith of a mustard seed in what he's able to do in and through you. Where belief ends, faith, faith begins. So what this does and what this should do is, is get us excited. <laughs> Whenever we come up against doubt and fear, we should be like, thank you, Lord. Well, that's what James teaches us to do in James chapter 1. Verse 4, when he says, count it all joy when you fall into different trials and tribulations. We count it all joys because we are now about to experience the hand of God moving in and through our lives in spite of us. And now we're like, okay, Lord, let me see what you're going to do. Truth number four, final truth. In the process of you answering the call and living well, doing the best that you can in stewarding the gifts and the talents that God has given you. Know that you can let your obstacles lead the way. And let me clarify that for a minute. I'm not saying, you know, uh, you know don't let God lead the way. Semantically, what I'm saying is that let's, at a practical level, and those of you who are, are, are project managers, you'll understand this. When you come up against an obstacle, the obstacle isn't saying stop. The obstacle is actually giving you instant feedback of what you need to do differently in order to go forward. You see, obstacles don't have to be roadblocks, but in fact, they can be reliable roadmaps if you know how to read them right. Okay, you can clap. All right, all right, you can clap. Perfect example, guys. You're in a, in a, in a room. 
um, hotel room. It's late at night. You're waking up. You're groggy. You're trying to go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden, you get up. You go around. It's unfamiliar. You stub your toe on the night table. Someone's already experienced that, right? <laughs> right? Well, what did that table just tell you? Go another way. Guys, if we know that Christ is with us, if we know that God would never leave us nor forsake us, that's the attitude we should have when we come up against obstacles. We should know how to read them in such a way that they're giving us instant feedback on what we either, and guess what? Most obstacles and challenges, God in those moments are asking us to do one of two things. He's asking us to either remove something from our life or just improve something in our life. And so whenever we come up against challenges and obstacles or things that we don't understand, we just got to pray, Lord, in this situation, what is it that you want me to either improve or you want me to remove? What doubt, what fear, what grudge, what bitterness do you want me to remove and replace it with forgiveness? Or God, you know what? I realize I can be better prepared. And so what is it that you need for me to improve? And out of obedience and out of hum humility, I am going to do that. Let your obstacles, and here's the choice, let your obstacles lead the way. Guys, in closing, I just want to share with you that, I, again, I don't know what choices that you've come through, but, but my prayer is that this, this message lands on you in one of two ways. One way that you may be at a crossroads in your life, and you were asking God, Lord, what do I do? And God is asking you in this moment, well, just do what you need to do if you are completely convinced that I was with you. Or this lesson may land on you, and right now you may not be going anywhere. You may not be at a crossroads. My desire and hope for you is that you would write this on the tablet of your heart, you would bind this around your neck, so that when you come into that season of your life where you've reached a crossroad, and God is asking you to step out of your comfort zone so that you can step up to that new call on your life, you will say yes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. We thank you for the work that you are doing in us and the work that you're doing through us. Lord, we love you, and Lord, we trust you, but we admit, Father, that like the children of Israel, we doubt all the time. But, Father, it is so comforting to know that your relentless pursuit of our lives, you don't care that we doubt. You don't care that we get discouraged. But instead, you keep reminding us that you are with us. Father, may your truth land heavy on our hearts. May, Father God, we metabolize the fruit of your, of your, of your word so that it becomes energy for us to move and live how you want us to. May we, from this day forward, choose to live our lives uncaged. We love you, Lord. We trust you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And all those who are in agreement, say amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.